chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. The story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man that climbed up in the tree. It says in verse 1, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own countrymen, turned himself over to the Romans for sake of filthy lucre to, to, to become rich. And he cheated his countrymen uh, in the tax transactions. He told them, you owe $10 when they actually only owed 5 and he kept 5 Became a very wealthy man this way. Verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus, who he who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. The problem with Zacchaeus was he was a short guy. He couldn't see over the crowd to see Jesus. He heard about Jesus. He's like, this guy, I hear all these stories. i got to see this guy. You know, uh, people went crazy uh, when Taylor Swift came to Australia, right? And everybody had had to see Taylor Swift. Well, everybody had to see Jesus. And by the way, that's a much better person to see uh, than Taylor Swift. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down from us, abide at thy house today. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. He probably wasn't expecting this invitation. And when they saw it, the people standing around, they all murmured, saying that he, Jesus, was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Somebody in that crowd probably thought, Zacchaeus, that, <laughs> that guy that cheated my grandmother out of, her, out of her oxen, that oxen that she needed, she, uh, she couldn't provide for herself, and she got sick, she became sickly, and she died. The person that said, Zacchaeus, he rips me off every year on my taxes. What a jerk. <laughs> they said that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. But what happened when Jesus met with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus stood and said unto him, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. This man has a drastic change of heart when he meets Jesus. Verse 9, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. What? Can you just feel the repulsion that these religious Jews hearing, these devout Jews hearing Jesus say, This man is a son of Abraham? No! That man is a sinner. He's going to burn in hell. And Jesus says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father, we come to your house today to hear your word. I don't know everybody's motive, why everyone's here. But Lord, the next few minutes we spend together, we will spend underneath the sound of your word. And you've promised that your word will not return void. So today, Lord, we claim that promise by faith, asking that you will do 
the work that you want to do in our hearts. If there are those here who are lost without you, may they find you today. Those of us who know you, may we be drawn to follow Jesus' example in seeking lost souls. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at Jesus' purpose statement for life. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve, to sacrifice, and ultimately to pay the price of sin. And this month, we've been talking about purpose. And we only have purpose because God created us. If we were the product of random chance, we wouldn't have no ultimate purpose. But we have a purpose because God created us. And ultimately, at the very core center of that purpose is a personal relationship with God. God's a very relational being. He wants us to have relationships with himself and with others as well. He wants us to have beautiful, wholesome relationships with each other. And when we allow Jesus to come into our life, he comes in and he begins to remove the sin and fill us with righteousness. He's doing a work in us to make us more like himself. And that is our main purpose in life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's your main purpose in life. To be like Jesus. And so we talked last week about adopting His purpose statement, that statement of serving and sacrificing and using our spiritual gifts in the church. Today we want to look at part two of Jesus' purpose statement. It's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. To be like Jesus, to accomplish our purpose of being like Jesus, we must seek lost souls. And as we seek lost souls, let us never forget that we ourselves were once lost. We ourselves were once in that same condition, but we have found the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ and as Christians, we, we seek to show the lost that same way, that same truth, that same life in Jesus Christ. God wants us to seek lost souls. Everybody, would you say that with me? God wants us to seek lost souls. Look at somebody next to you and say, God wants us to seek lost souls. One more time, God wants us to seek lost souls. There you go, Mick. You got it in the back there. They're going to have it. Hey, when we leave this place, we need to know without a shadow of a doubt that our purpose in life is to seek lost souls. That's why we're on this planet Earth. So how do we seek lost souls? Three points today. By searching, by sympathizing, and by staying. God wants us to seek lost souls. First off, by searching. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's break that verse down very briefly. The Son of Man, this is Jesus. He's our example. He has come. He, he came from heaven to earth to show the way, to pay the debt on the cross. He went to the grave. He rose to the sky to set the example for us of seeking lost souls. Jesus came to seek and to save. 
to search for, to look for. He came looking for lost souls. Lost, the lost people, those are perishing. Those that are sick, those that are needy, those that are hurting. Jesus came to seek and to search, and he came with an intense desire and urgency to reach those people. That word seek, it carries the idea of desire. I am desiring to find. I have an urgency about finding something. Go over to Luke chapter 15, just a couple pages back in your Bible. Luke chapter 15. Verse 8, here's a, a biblical picture of someone who was searching. It talks about a woman that lost a coin. It says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. So here she lost a coin. It's probably the equivalent of a day's wage. This is a big deal to her. So what does she do? She gets the, the candle out to brighten up the room. She's, she's going to find this thing. She goes sweeping, trying to sweep through all the, the mess in the house and try to find this coin. It's important to her. And she's seeking diligently for it. In verse 9 it says, And when she found it, she calleth her friend, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace. And we see the, the importance, this desire, this urgency in her reaction. It, she was just over the moon when she found it. Have you ever lost your car keys? Ever lost your car keys? Where did I put my car keys? And you're frantically searching. You, if you've got kids, you're telling, kids, look for the car keys. You're, you're asking everybody, where are my car keys? Until you find it, you have that, that frantic, urgent uh, attitude. Or you, have you ever lost your wallet? Ooh. Oh, man. I've, I've got my flybys card in that wallet. I've got to find that thing. Okay. You lost your wallet. You're, you're, you're frantically looking around. Where, where is that thing? You know, men, we have it pretty easy. We just, like, do the pocket pat, you know, and then, okay, it's not in the pocket, so, so where was the last place I put it? But, but ladies, I have to hand you, you have it tough because you have what's called a purse. And a woman's purse is like an endless well. You just, you never know what you're going to find in a woman's purse. I mean, you could be out in the wilderness and you need a first aid kit. Oh, I've got one of those in my purse. I mean, they got a pair of crutches in the, in the purse. Like, just everything that comes out of the purse. How do you keep track of things? I don't know. But you ever lose your wallet? I mean, ladies lose things in their purse, okay? Uh, you, you guys, you, more power to you. But here is this woman. She had this, this lost coin. She's urgent about finding this lost coin. Ever play the game hide and seek? I used to play with my, my little nieces and nephews, and, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to play with them because when you're the one seeking, you know exactly where they are. They're under the blanket, giggling hysterically, and the blanket's just vibrating, and you're like, okay. So, so you, you, you can't just go straight up to the blanket and find them right away. That's no fun. So, you, oh, are you under the piano? I wonder if Denise is under the piano. Oh, she's not under the piano. And so you, oh, is she under the communion table? You know, you go look around several places, and then she just giggles even harder. She's just hysterically laughing. And so finally you go and, and you find her. But, you know, flip the coin. You're the one hiding, and she's the one searching, okay? So you go, and you hide under the blanket perfectly still. You're not breathing. She runs in the room. 
Oh, I don't know where Uncle Josh is. I can't find him. So Aunt Kim has to come. Well, did you look over here? Did you look over here? And then, you know, you can get bored with the game of hide and seek, right? If you're a little kid, like, oh, I can't find it. But let's, let's uh, change the scenario. Let's say uh, Clint and Bianca, you're at the shops. You both look at some merchandise, and then you turn to look back. Where's Ben? Oh, okay, well, you go on that side of the rack, I'll go on the other. He's not there. You're looking, oh, where, where is Ben? Running around the whole shop, you're going to the counter saying, hey, can you make the, the loudspeaker call Ben to the front counter? He doesn't show up. You're urgent. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. There's an urgency with that. Acts chapter 17, we see the Apostle Paul's urgency in seeking the lost. It says in verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. You know what the Apostle Paul saw in Athens? He saw a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of lost souls given over to pagan idolatry. You know what? When, when I go out and I look across the street at Anaconda, and I look at the intersection, and I see all those cars going by, you know what I see? I see a whole bunch of lost souls. You ever pull up to a traffic light and look at the person next to you and think to yourself, if that person were to die in a car accident, driving home, would they spend eternity? They're all around us. The Apostle Paul, he, his spirit was stirred in him. And this urgency overtakes him. It says, therefore, he dis- disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. Some said, what will this babbler say? What was the Apostle Paul doing? He was searching for lost souls. Look, he was going into the synagogue. Hey, you guys like to talk about the Old Testament. Let's talk. Let's chat about Jesus. Hey, he was going around. He was finding devout people. Hey, you like talking about religion? Yeah, great. Let's talk. Let's talk about Jesus. Hey, hey, you in the marketplace, do you like talking about religion? No, not really. Good. Let's talk about Jesus. He was seeking the lost souls. I've got some friends. They, uh, they have a zeal to witness. And you know, it's, uh, it, the people would say it's too much. Your social media, it's all about Jesus and Bible stuff. Get, come on, get a life. Hey, hey, at work, you can't quit talking about Jesus. Come on, bro. Just chill. This is workplace. Keep it personal. He's gotten to see coworkers saved and disciple. He's discipling his coworker at work. Uh, just recently, he texted me last week. This is awesome. We've been praying for his mate, Chris, to come to Christ. He said, hey, we had a chat, and he made a profession of faith this week in Christ. Praise God. Hey, people look at him like, you're weird, bro. You're a babbler, just like they said about the Apostle Paul. Like, just tone down, bro. Don't rock the boat. But my because he's urgent. Ryan and Eileen, they, uh, they had a blessing and opening cere- ceremony recently for their business. 
and uh, they invite pastor to come over and, and to speak, to preach at this, this ceremony. And uh, I got to go along as a blessing. But, you know, people would look at that and say, guys, you just need to chill out. This is work. Keep, keep religious things private. You're getting all your employees to come to this, this ceremony. Here preaching? Who does that anymore? This is the 21st century. The MP to come to this thing and you're going to have preaching? Come on, bro. It's great to see people in this church with an urgency. We want our coworkers to hear about Jesus. They had pastor come a while back to, to a, a, a group gathering with a bunch of their friends, and, and pastor got to preach there because they wanted their friends to consider Jesus. The Apostle Paul, a great example of someone who was urgent, Jesus Christ, he was urgent in ministry as well. Go over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, this is a very interesting passage. Jesus is in a busy season of ministry. I'm sorry, it's, it's Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. It says, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. So Jesus, his disciples, they're busy with the multitudes. They're busy doing the work of ministry. And they don't even have time to stop to eat. Have you ever been that busy? Uh, probably at some point we've been that busy where we don't even stop to eat. And, and he's going and going and going. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he's beside himself. So here Jesus is. He's going and going and going. He doesn't even stop to take time to eat. And his friends go out and they physically, to grab hold of him and, and to force him to sit down and eat. And they're like, this guy's gone crazy. He went crazy for the ministry. You know, that, that is an example that shows us the urgency with which the Lord Jesus Christ was seeking lost souls, seeking to minister to people. The Apostle Paul in Athens, they called him a babbler. Jesus, they said, you've gone mad in ministry. But, you know, Jesus calls us to be urgent about seeking lost souls. He calls us to be fishers of men. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus called his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen, and he used this as a, a way to call them. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. You know, we need several things to be a fisher of men. I appreciate Maria letting me borrow one of her fishing rods here, but if you're a fisherman, there, there's several things you need in order to be a good fisherman. Now, uh, to be honest, I'm not a good fisherman. I never really went fishing very much. 
But I, I do know if you're going to catch fish, first of all, you have to, you have, to make, have the right priority. A fisherman has to have the right priority. If you're going to be a fisherman, you have to make it priority to go fishing. One reason I don't catch a lot of fish, I don't make it a priority to go fishing. But a fisherman, if you're going to catch fish, you have to make it a priority. We're going to set time aside to go fishing. These men, it says in verse 20, they straightway left their nets and followed him. They made it a priority. They left other things. Notice, they left their careers. Hey, I was thinking about this. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody service today, God wanted you to become a fisher of men full-time? He wanted you to join the ministry full-time? And you might have to walk away from a career. Awesome. Switch. To be able to give up career for the Lord Jesus Christ. Would God be tugging your heart today about becoming a full-time fisher of men? I don't know. Is God working in your heart that way? Look, they left their careers. They left a job undone. It says they, they left their nets. Go down to verse 21. And going on from thence, he saw other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called them and immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Immediately, they were in the, the middle of mending their nets. They're working. And they said, oh, this is more important. Reminds me of Elijah when he called Elisha. Elisha is out in the field with the oxen. And Elijah comes and casts his cloak on him and says, hey, you're going to be my helper. Oh, job's done. He goes and he, he breaks up the yoke. He creates a fire. He sacrifices the oxen. I don't need these anymore. I'm following that man. I'm serving God. They left their careers. They left a job undone. They left their family. It says, verse 22, they immediately left the ship and their father. They left their family so they could be fishers of men. You know, if you're going to be a fisher of men, you have to have the right priority. You have to take time to go fishing. God may not call you to full-time ministry, but he's called us all to be fishers of men. Do you have time set aside in your week that you go out and you, you specifically say, I'm going to go fish for men? I mean, there's many ways to do it. You can utilize social media. You can utilize letterbox. You can go to a specific coffee shop over and over and make connections with the people at that coffee shop. Hey, you can go to the shops. I go to Kohl's. I like going Saturday evening because there's a guy there that works there, and I'm able to chat with him. You can go to the same place over and over and build a relationship with people, and you can fish for men. You can talk to them and say, hey, what, what do you think about religious things? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Open that conversation. The next time, hey, hey, have you ever heard much about Jesus? Who, who do you believe Jesus is? Week after week, you just chat with them. Hey, what about heaven and hell? Where do you think you're going to go when you die? Just talk to them. Talk to your friends at school. Hey, what do you think about Jesus? And just listen to them. 
Just bring up the conversation and ask the Lord to guide the, the conversation. And if they express interest, like, yeah, I want to know more, know more about Jesus, hey, great. I'd love to tell you more. You're always going around, always looking for opportunities to fish for men. You know, when I'm out in public, a lot of times I try to make eye contact with people. Like, a lot of people don't really do that these days. But I'm always trying to, I'm trying to see if I can smile at someone. I'm trying to engage people. I was at the, the bus stop recently. Actually, I was going over to watch the Super Bowl at Brother Ricardo's house. And uh, I was at the bus stop. There's a guy sitting there. And I tried to make eye contact. Hey, how you going? He responded. We started chatting. That conversation ended up, I was leaving him with the gospel track. You're always fishing for men. You, you make it a priority. I'm always fishing for men. To be a fisher of men, we need several things. First of all, we need a, the right priority. Second of all, we need the right preparation. Hey, if you're going to go fishing, you've got to have some preparation time, right? You need some equipment. You know, you've got the uh, line, the rod. This one's got a, a sinker on it here, the reel and everything. Uh, you probably want a tackle box. You've got to change the baits, different things like that. I probably want to check on the weather, see what the weather's like. Hey, are you going out you know, on a boat? Or are you just uh, going to fish from, from the beach, whatever? So you've got to make some preparations. Another reason, I don't really go fishing. I, I don't want to deal with all the preparations. But as Christians, if we're going to fish for men, we have to have spiritual preparation. Spiritual equipment, so to speak. And first off, prayer. Prayer. We must be prayerful if we're going to reach people with the gospel. Look over at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. You know, you can go out with great intentions and say, hey, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a fisher of men. But if you don't pray about it, what's going to happen, at least I find in my experience, you have the best intention, but when it comes to it and you have the opportunity... You're, you're missing the boldness. You're missing that, that ability to, to, to communicate. And uh, no, 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 they don't want to hear. Or, because you haven't taken time in prayer. Prayer prepares, prepares us just as much as it prepares the other person. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So we're talking about prayer. Verse 19, the Apostle Paul is saying, And, and for me, pray for me. The utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth with bold, boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here again, we see the Apostle Paul's urgency. This man writing from prison, you know what he most desperately wants in prison? He wants opportunities to share the gospel. That's the driving focus of his life. I want opportunities to share the gospel. And he says, pray for me that I have opportunity and that I would speak boldly in Rome, anti-Christian Rome, the gospel message. He needed prayer. We need prayer if we're going to be a witness for Christ. Go over to Colossians chapter 4, just a few pages over. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. Again, the Apostle Paul asking for prayer. 
or verse 2, uh, Colossians 4, verse 2, continue in prayer. So we're talking about prayer. Verse 3, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Hey, this week when you go to work, pray seriously. Lord, would you give me a door of utterance this week to speak the gospel? Lord, would you give me a burning urgency, a passion in my heart to share with people how they can be forgiven of their sins, they can have joy and peace in their life that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided for me. I want to share that with people. I know what Christ has done in my life. I want to share it with someone else. Lord, would you give me an opportunity? It could be a classmate. It could be a workmate. It could be some random person on the street. Lord, would you give me an opportunity? A door of utterance. Verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Back in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said, I'm an ambassador. We all are ambassadors for Christ. We ought to speak the gospel message. This isn't an optional thing. This is our life. This is our purpose in Christ. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. You know, our, our passion, our desire to reach other people, it affects how we walk, our testimony, how we live. We walk in wisdom. We, we live wisely. We redeem the time. We're not wasting the time because there's urgency. People are dying and going to hell. That is the serious truth of the matter. Are we seeking lost souls? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, you ought to answer every man. The way we talk to people needs to be gracious. Season with salt. Hey, salt helps some pretty nasty things go down a little easier, right? You ever eat something like, man, that's nasty. Well, put a little salt on it. It might help a little, right? Kind of take some of the edge off of it. The way we talk to people, it needs to be flavorful, with grace. It needs to be building up favor, not slashing. And this, is, this is a problem I have. It's so easy to, to put the sting on somebody, to say something cutting, convicting. Ah, I got them a good one. We need to ask God for that grace, that I could be gracious in the way I speak. And in so doing, that would give me an opportunity to share the gospel, to share Christ. So we need prayer. We need that boldness. We need opportunities. We need wisdom from God as we speak. We need Bible knowledge. Do you know the Bible well enough to show somebody how they can know they are going to heaven, how they can know Jesus Christ as Savior? Do you know the, the Bible verses well enough? Romans chapter ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall
well enough to be a preacher of the gospel, to convincingly persuade someone of the truth of the gospel. If we're going to be a fisher of men, we need the right preparation. We need that prayer. We need that compassion from the Lord. By and far, the most mentioned emotion of the Lord Jesus was compassion. You look at how many times he saw the multitudes and moved with compassion. He saw the sick and the hurting, and he was moved with compassion. And you know what? He wasn't going around looking at hurt souls saying, Ah, you deserve that. Franco, you're just an idiot. You deserve that, you sinner. He, He saw this woman taken in adultery, and he said, Where are your accusers? Nowhere, Lord. Go and sin no more. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. We need that tenderness, that compassion. We can say all the right things. We can have all the right answers. But if our spirit is cutting and aggressive and unbiblically critical, we will turn more people away than we will attract to Christ. That's the preparation of our heart. If we're going to be fishers of men, we need the right priority. We've got to do it, but we've got to make sure we're doing it prepared. Is our heart prepared to share the gospel? And then we pray that God would open those opportunities that he would make those times available to us. You know, oftentimes I find when I make the priority to go share, and I prepare in prayer, giving myself to God, saying, I'm going to do this, oftentimes, most times, God opens an opportunity to witness. But it's because I made the priority and I took time to prepare. Sadly, there's too many times when I don't make a priority and I don't prepare and I miss opportunities. So we need the right priority. We need the right preparation. We also need the right proximity. A good fisherman goes to where the fish are. You ever see those, those fishing trackers? Go over to maybe Anaconda. I don't know if they have them there, but you, you, you can actually get a depth finder and it'll show you what's down there. And you so good fishermen, they know where the good fishing spots are, right? So part of being a good fisherman is just simply knowing where to go, when to go. You know, if we're going to be fishers of men, we have to go to where people are. We have to put ourselves in the way of people. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, Jesus was in the synagogue. Mark chapter 1, verse 32 through 34, he's in a house and people were coming to him with disease. And so here he is at a house ministering to people. Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39, he went all throughout Galilee. You know what Jesus was doing? He was being a fisherman. He was going to the fish. He was going to the fish. Do you have time scheduled in your life where you're going to the fish? Some people, they, they do this through social media. They, they they go to where people are, and they put out gospel videos. 
They put out videos leading people to Christ. You and your life, are you going to where people are? Are you putting yourself in the way of interacting with people so that you can share the gospel with others? You know, I could, uh, I could bring this fishing pole to church when I come to work up at church or, or to my apartment. I could, I could pick it up every day. I could cradle it. I could hug it. It's my fishing pole. I like this fishing pole. What good is it going to do me in my apartment? I'm going to catch a lot of fish in my apartment, right? Oh, you're like, Josh, that's stupid. Yeah, exactly. If I'm going to catch fish, I've got to go to the, to the creek. I've got to go to the ocean. I've got, to, I've got to go to some water. So are we going to where the people are? And then finally, to be a good fisherman, you need the right persistence. The more you go, the more you get. The more you cast, the more you catch. And you know what? The, the problem is we, we, get, um, we get a little tired of rejection. We get a little tired. We, we, we throw the line out and up, oh, no bites. Well, so what do most people do? Oh, forget this. Fishing's for the birds go sit there all day and do nothing. I got better things to do with my time. They quit. Those people don't catch a lot of fish. You know, I had some friends at Pensacola. That we were close to the beach there, and they'd always go fishing. They were, they were either fishing off the beach, or they got a kayak, or a boat, or something. They're always, they were just in, insane about fishing. And I, I would listen to them. A lot of times, they'd come back in late at night, and they're like, ah, oh, we didn't catch anything. I'm thinking, these guys are nuts going out there. It seems like they never catch anything. I think I went with them one time, and they actually, they did. They, they, were, they were dead set on catching shark. All right, they got, they got, they, they researched line. Like, they had to get stronger line so that it would actually uh, hold up to the shark teeth and stuff, I guess. And, and, you know, they had to get the right hooks. And I don't know how much money, these guys are college students. I'm like, how much money are you guys sticking into to the fishing line and hooks and rod? You guys are nuts. And you walk in their room, they're, okay, these, these dorm rooms are not very big. All right, these, these are very tiny dorm rooms. I don't know if uh, maybe twice the size of, of the cloak room over there. But uh, you walk in their room, and man, they just, there's stuff everywhere. And in the, in the corner, this huge pile of rods and net. I, I don't even know what all they had there. And then one time, one time, okay, get this. They bought one of those inflatable kayaks. All right? These are, these are colleges. They went out and bought this inflatable kayak, and they took it back to their, their dorm room, and they left it in the middle. There's literally, at this point, no space to walk. And they did it right when their, when their roommate was in the toilet, all right? And they went and they hid under their bed, and they're videoing. They wanted to see his reaction. And he comes out, they bought a boat. <laughs> okay. These guys are nuts, okay? They're crazy about fishing. They're always going. But you know what? They did catch fish. And actually, one time, they, they and their friend, they caught a lot of fish. They caught way more fish than I caught because I didn't go. To be a fisher of men, we have to have persistence. We've got to keep going and keep going and keep going. We need the right priority. We make it priority. We need the right preparation. We've got to pray and prepare our heart and our minds we need the right proximity, and we need the right persistence. 
God wants us to seek lost souls. And we do this by searching with urgency. We go and we go and we go. And we will reap if we faint not. God wants us to seek for lost souls, first of all, by searching. Second of all, by sympathizing. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That word lost, it means something that is, is being destroyed, something that's being marred, perishing. The world out there, without Jesus Christ, they're dying. They're perishing. Think about this. They're going to spend eternity in their sinful state. In, in, in anger? Anger is one of the, the aspects of the natural man. They're going to have an eternity to be angry. They won't know the love of God. They'll know lust. Lust that is never satisfied. Malice, envy. They won't have peace. They're lost. They're dying. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus is working in our lives, if we know Christ, to make us more like himself. What, what is he doing? He's taking the anger out of us. Say, like, hey, 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 don't get annoyed. Have patience. He's, he's filling us with the fruits of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering. And that is what's going to make heaven so awesome. Forget the golden streets and all the other stuff. What's going to be awesome is we're going to have a heart that is totally like Jesus Christ. We won't have to deal with interpersonal conflicts and anger and vengefulness. and We won't have to deal with, with sin and its lust and its enslaving desire. That's what people, they're, they're lost. They're stuck in those things. And Jesus came to seek and to save those people. Zacchaeus was a lost man. If you go back over to Luke chapter 19. Just a, a reminder, we, we mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but Zacchaeus was a lost man. He was chief among the publicans, verse 2. It says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Publicans didn't have a good reputation, so this man, he, he had a poor reputation. Verse 2 says he was rich. He got his wealth by corruption, so he's a dishonest Verse 7, it says that the, the people murmured that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. He was a hated man. He was despised. This man was lost. He was a corrupt person with a bad reputation. Jesus came to seek and to save Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who had cheated his community for his wealth, who was hated by his community, he was a lost individual dying in sin, the sin of corruption and greed. His relational life was strained. You know, I wonder if this was a lonely person. I wonder if the reason he couldn't get to the front of the crowd to see Jesus is because people kept pushing him back. Get out of here, Zacchaeus. We don't want you around here. 
Jesus doesn't want to see you. His standing in the community was marred. His relationship with God And Jesus sympathized with Zacchaeus. We seek lost souls by sympathizing with them. Notice verse 5. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. You know, we sympathize with the lost when we look at them. You, you see that person at the shops? They look like a, a, a mean person. I don't know. They, the way they present themselves, it's like, leave me alone. I'm just rebellious. I'm, I'm who I want to be. I'm, and, and you can tend to like, oh, I'm not going to look at that person. You, you see people that they, they're down in outers. They stink. They smell. They, I'm not going to look at that person. Jesus came and there's this guy up in this tree. He's a, a cheat. He's a crook. He's a low-down, good-for-nothing member of society. Looked. At Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was probably used to being ignored, spurned, turned. I don't want to talk to that guy. But Jesus looked at Zacchaeus. It says in verse 5, And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Not only did Jesus look at Zacchaeus, he spoke to Zacchaeus. You know, looking at others and speaking to them by name is a way to show sympathy. So Jesus looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, you dirty rat. How could you do this to your community? How could you? No, 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 he didn't say that. He said, Zacchaeus, you're a lonely man, aren't you? You're looking for something. Because Jesus, he didn't just look, and he didn't just speak to Zacchaeus. He responded to Zacchaeus' heart. Jesus said, here is a man who wants to see me so badly, he's going to run ahead. Hey, in that day, men didn't run. Not if you wanted to be dignified. Here he is, he's running ahead. He's climbing up a tree like a little kid. Zacchaeus, you really want to see me, don't you? Zacchaeus, I can see past the outward appearance. I can see the heart. And he says, you want to talk, don't you? Let's come down. Make haste, come down. Hey, we're going to fellowship at your house.
Bruce Olson was a missionary in Venezuela. He wanted to reach an unreached people group, the Motolone Indian tribe. Now, these people actually killed intruders that would come into their area. He had to, to beg a neighboring tribe to take him to their territory. And finally they said, okay, okay. And uh, his first encounter with them, they, they were walking toward the territory, and all of a sudden his companions from this other tribe stopped, and they just took off running. He didn't know what was going on until a spear ended up in his leg. And here he was being dragged along to the Motolone, Motolone camp. Uh, these people killed intruders. Thank God he was spared. Uh, although he, he ended up very ill, uh, he was able to, to be rescued by a, a miraculous event. He started working with these people, started to learn their language from scratch. Imagine learning a language from scratch, all right? God allowed him to befriend one of their, their members, and he began to learn the language. Uh, he wanted to, to influence these people for Christ, but there was one block, there was a, a, a huge stumbling block to reaching this people group for Christ, and that was the witch doctor. She wanted to maintain control. And here he was. He was trying to bring in medicine. He was trying to help these people in their physical ailments. But she didn't like that because it, it damaged her control over the tribe. So there was a, an outbreak of, of pink eye. And he had medicine that would have cleared it up, no problem. And uh, she didn't like him using it, though. So, so here he is. What, what I do? This lady is standing in, in my way to, to, to reach these people for Christ. I've got to get past this roadblock. So what am I going to do? You know what he did? He went over and he visited one of the, the people that were sick with pink eye. Hey, hey, how you going, mate? Good to see you. Hey, can I, can I touch, touch their eyes? And he put the infection in his own eyes. Pretty disgusting, right? And then he goes to the witch doctor. He says, hey, I got a proposal for you. Would you put this medicine in my eyes. You can do your little chant things, whatever, but would you use the medicine? So you use the medicine. He cleared up. He got well. So she knew it was the medicine, right? And through that way, he was able to break over that speed bump. Her heart softened toward him, and he was able to then go and preach the gospel to these people. He's able to see people saved. He's able to see these Indian tribe changed from the bondage of their animistic ways to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Would we be willing to stick some pink eye in our eyes to reach lost souls? Jesus sought for lost souls, and he did it by searching and by sympathizing with them. And then he did it by staying with Zacchaeus. Notice verse 5 again says, Make haste to come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. You know, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus wasn't expecting this invitation. Here's a religious man. He's used to being shunned by religious people. 
He's used to people saying, get away from me, you no good dirtbag. And here is this, this prophet, this revered man of God, saying, I'm going to your house. I've got a pastor friend. He was a missionary to Wales for about nine years. And he said, the people in Wales, the friendliest people you ever meet, until you bring up Jesus. It's like a flip, uh, flipping a switch. You mention nothing, nothing to do with it. And he said, uh, this one young person watching, he, he saw this one person walking by a church. They knelt down and they, they lifted their hands up and they said, Blank you, Jesus. This vile against Jesus. One, one person told him that God was horrible for raping Mary and making her pregnant. They don't understand that that was the biggest honor for a Jewish woman to bear the Messiah. These people that are just so vile against God. But he would, tell the, he would tell the people in his neighborhood, these kids, they'd come around his place, like, you're welcome here anytime. They'd sit there, I guess they'd be watching TV or whatever, and they'd just talk. It's to them. And they would, they'd say, yeah, I don't like, no, whatever. But he would just witness to them. He would just tell them the truth. But his house was open for them to come so he could be a witness. You know, they may not have come to his church, but they'd come to his house and they would, they would get the gospel. If we're going to win people for Christ, we've got to stay with them. We've got to spend time with them. Not to become like them, not to join in their sinful practices, but we have to have a connection, we have to develop a relationship. A meaningful relationship, not one that's just, I'm just here to tell you the gospel. And once I get to tell you the gospel, I'm out. No, it's because I see someone who's lost. They're drowning and they need to be saved, this person. This person. We must seek lost souls. We must search for lost souls. We must sympathize with the lost. We must stay with the lost. Jesus said, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. We've been talking about purpose this month. Your purpose. If you had to stand before God today, we will all one day stand before God. And you had to give an account for your life. Would you be happy to do so? Would you be able to look at God and say, God, I made my life count. It was you. I gave my life for my Savior. To, to, to minister to others, to seek and to save the lost. Hey, 
Now look, I know not everybody here is called to be a pastor. Not everybody's called to full-time ministry. I, I look, I know that there's life that happens. In here that have to put food on the table. There's men here that have to go to work. There's, there's, I get it. But in the context of daily life, our job as Christians is to serve others and to seek to save the lost. What is God calling you to do in response to this message? Some of you might, you might be thinking, this is too much. This is a pipe dream. He's American. What do you think you're doing? You might say, I'm a babbler, just like the Apostle Paul. You, you might say, I'm crazy. But remember, they called Jesus crazy. You might be thinking, I can't do this. I'm not a pastor. I'm not called a minister. God has promised to empower us. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall receive, be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. God has promised to give you the power, the ability to be a witness, to share Christ with others. And you know, remember, is, it's not our responsibility to save people. It's our responsibility to be a witness, to present people with the opportunity to come to Christ. And when you get into a consistent habit of sharing the gospel and po- trying to point people to Christ, it is so fulfilling. It's so rewarding. Because there's only one thing that you can take with you to heaven. And that is the souls of lost men. The only thing that's really going to matter in eternity. The souls of lost men. So if your life feels like a drag, if you feel like I'm not really doing much with my life, start searching for lost souls. I know many of you You are searching for lost souls. I want to encourage you, continue. Don't grow weary. You say, but they keep rejecting. Yes, they rejected Jesus. Keep sharing. Keep praying. Keep sowing, because if we continue, we will reap if we faint not. You say, I don't know how to do it. I'm not good at talking to people. I don't have the Bible knowledge. I, I, look, God has brought people to this church. Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about this. He gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has brought people that can help you be an effective witness to teach you the scriptures, to teach you how to engage people with the gospel. Take advantage of it. You say, I don't know how to. Okay, great. Let's connect you with someone that can teach you how to win souls. Hey, you say, I don't have anybody to go with. I'd love to go with you sometime. Reach out to me. Look, we have a million and one excuses but we have a million and 
two reasons to go. And that extra reason, that extra ability is the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. For all the excuses, there are more reasons to go searching for lost souls. What's your purpose in the world? There's no greater purpose than to reunite people with the God who created them on purpose for a purpose. There's no greater purpose than to glorify God by seeking lost souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to seek for lost souls. Father, if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here today. Father, if he hadn't given up everything for us, if he hadn't embraced the rejection and the the scorn and the ridicule, if he hadn't spent the long nights in prayer and the busy days in ministry, Father, he did that for us. As you continue in prayer, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ personally? Or are you like the person that Jesus is seeking, that lost person? Sin has you weighed down. Anger or or bitterness or anxiety has you weighed down. Life has gotten you beat up. Would you come to Christ today? He wants to free you from all of that. And he wants to give you the sure hope of a home in heaven. So if you've never come to Christ, he is seeking for you. I implore you. Come talk to me. Come talk to to Branko or I'm sure Sam Drew or Fiona would talk to the ladies. Don't leave here today without knowing Jesus. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. And again, we call back the promise of God that your word will not return void. I pray you'd use it in our hearts and our minds today as we meditate on it. And that you'd be glorified with our response to your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.